So Christmas is all about giving. God giving to us his greatest gift. On that wonderful day, over 2,000 years ago, God gave to humanity the culmination of all of his promises. The answer to all of our questions. And the treasure to satisfy all of our desires. God gave us himself. God gave us a savior. God showed us what he is like and what he is transforming us to be like in Jesus. And that's what the Apostle Paul is saying here in Colossians 2. He says, For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love to reach all the riches of a full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. In Christ Jesus are hidden all of the treasures of wisdom, all of the treasures of knowledge, So all of the spiritual capital, all of the faith, all of the beauty that is the character and the nature of God is in Christ Jesus. We don't have to look any further than that. Because we have Jesus, we have the answer to life's deepest questions. And on Christmas, we celebrate that the mysteries of God have become knowable and that the riches of God have become obtainable. On Christmas, we celebrate the mysteries of God becoming knowable and the riches of God becoming obtainable. If we want to know what God is like, when we ask the question, what is God like? What is Paul telling us the answer is? Jesus. Plain and simple, Christ, Jesus is the answer to what is God like. And God is the source, the only true source of spiritual capital, of Spiritual capital, God is the only true source. And it's only as we know Jesus that we are given these spiritual riches that will last forever. When all of our other riches have failed, when all the Christmas toys have broken, what are some of the toys you guys are hoping for this Christmas? Anybody? CJ? A holiday doll? A couch? A boat? Yeah, I listed a, a custom-made Chris Craft on my list, so if anybody is in the mood to buy a new boat for me, I'll, and I'll wait for it to be built like a couple months, that's fine. A BB gun, yeah. <laughs> Natasha had to beg me for like five years before I got her a BB gun. Now she has a pellet gun, too, so she's dangerous. And what else? What other toys? Or not toys? A skateboard. All right. So when all those have broken and faded away, when all the cars that we drive have rusted to nothing, when this building has crumbled, when all our strengths have faded away, when all of our smarts, our our ability to think has become cloudy, our spiritual capital in Jesus will last. And even if you think the riches of the world are a bad thing, if if you have that that stance towards even all money is evil, 
None of us want to be spiritually poor. Even people who who don't believe there's a God in the universe do not want their soul and, and their spiritual makeup, even if they don't believe they have a spiritual makeup, they don't want to be poor in the midst of who they are. None of us want to be spiritually poor. No one hopes to be hopeless. Everyone wants the answers to the great questions of the universe, to whether there is a God, to whether He loves us, and to whether we will get to be with Him someday. And Jesus is the answer to these questions. Jesus is the revealing of the wisdom of God. The mysteries of God have become knowable, and the riches of God have become obtainable in Jesus Let's look at the first at that first point. The mysteries of God have become knowable. Paul says in this passage, kind of in the middle of it, he says, God's mystery, which is Christ. There is complete understanding of who God is in Jesus Christ alone. For all the things that we praise Jesus for being, it's, it's amazing that, that many of us find it easy to forget That Jesus alone and Jesus fully shows us what God is like. We worship Him, we sing songs to Him, and then we go off and wonder what God is like. And when we need to know the Father, we can look to Jesus. Jesus said this in John 14. Philip asked Him, Lord, show us the Father and it is enough for us. The, the people that Jesus was leading and discipling, they so longed to see God the Father that they said, Jesus, just, just stop teaching us anything else. If you would just show us what your Father in heaven is like, that would be enough. We wouldn't want anything else. We would be completely satisfied for all of our days. And what has Jesus said? He says, Have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? God's mystery is Christ, Paul tells us. One of the commentators on our passage in Colossians says the false teachers that he was kind of writing against, writing to to help the people stand up against, focused on wisdom, and Paul focused on Christ. God in Christ is the perfect storehouse of real knowledge, and that knowledge supremely appears in Christ. Our focus is not to be smarter, better Christians. Our focus is on Christ. And that's the only thing that will keep us from going off track in our understanding of who God is. So in the sending, in the birth of Jesus, we see the love, one of the aspects of God we see in Jesus, one of the ways He reveals who God the Father is. We see the love that John 3.16, which we just responded to, we see that love in Jesus because God so loved the world that He gave His Son. Jesus is the embodiment of that wonderful attribute of God, which is love. In Jesus, we see just how far God is willing to come to us. Christ Jesus, Philippians 2 says, 
who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself. God in Christ. Jesus and the Father love you so much that Jesus himself emptied himself. But he didn't stop there. Emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. What a beautiful picture of how far the Father wants to come to love us. In Jesus, we also see God's authority over all of creation. Throughout the stories in the Gospels of the life and the ministry of Jesus, we see this. But especially, there's a passage in Luke 4 that says, Now when the sun was setting, all those who had any, who were sick with various diseases, brought them to him. And he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. Just the power that's there. And I just want you to, for just put this in your, your memory bank for later. When Jesus healed it says he, this again and again. He healed all of them. He healed every one of them. There was not a sickness. There was not a disease. There was not an affliction that Jesus cannot heal. Because He made you. He made every human sick and well. He made them all. And He holds them together by His power. And then even it goes further than that. It says, and demons also came out of many crying, You are the Son of God! But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew that he was the Christ. And in Jesus, we see the accessibility of God. Jesus tells his disciples and he tells us that as we have faith in him, he doesn't just call us servants, but he calls us friends. That's how accessible the father is. Jesus, as Hebrews talks about, is our great high priest who ushers us in to the holy of holies. Whereas before Jesus, to go into the room that was the holies of Hol- holy of holies, you would have been struck dead immediately. So God is accessible to us in Jesus. Jesus shows us the faithfulness of God. Jesus shows us the goodness of God. Jesus shows us the graciousness of our Father. Jesus shows us how perfectly holy God is when He resists all the direct temptations of Satan in the wilderness. He is weak and He is tired and He is hungry and yet He remains perfect, following only what His Father wants. Jesus shows us the incomprehensibility of God. That's the biggest word of the day. You can just chalk that one aside. I think that was like 18 syllables. Jesus shows us the justice of God in taking on God's wrath for our sake. Jesus shows us the omnipresence of God because now that He has ascended, He is everywhere and He puts His Spirit in all who put their faith in Him. Jesus shows us the omniscience or the all-knowingness of God. He knew what people were thinking before they knew to say it. He knew what people were thinking when they set their hearts against Him. And He knew what Satan was thinking when he set his heart against Jesus in the beginning. Jesus shows us that God is our provider. He tells the woman at the well, the water I give You will never thirst again. It becomes a a spring of living water from within you. 
Jesus shows us that God is our provider. Jesus shows us that our God is sovereign. God brought all of history together for this little baby to be born in a tumble-down stable among the cows and the donkeys in a food trough. Raised Him up to live a simple life as a carpenter's son from a town that nobody would give you credit for being from. For a simple ministry, yet a powerful ministry of healing and making disciples that led ultimately to Jesus humbling Himself to the point of death on a cross. The word for which excruciating was invented. But He didn't stop there. Jesus shows us that God is in control even in our darkest moments because in the darkest moment in all of history, the God-man Himself in the grave, truly dead, God was still in control and raised Him from the dead. Jesus shows us the sovereignty of God. Jesus shows us the transcendence or the otherness, the distinctness of our Father. Because Jesus is wholly different than all the men who came before who failed to follow God perfectly. And all the men who have come after. And our verses today state kind of a summary statement. Jesus shows us in all of those the wisdom of God. He shows us what's going on in God's mind. The mysteries of God become knowable in Jesus. So if we need to know the Father, where do we look? To Jesus. Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And when we need to see Jesus, we can look to one another. We can love one another because we, the church, the people of God, are the body of Christ. And so we show each other what Jesus is like, who shows us what the Father in heaven is like. When we love one another by faith, that is where we see Jesus at work amongst us. This verse, verse 2 here in Colossians 2, Paul shows that his aim is that our hearts, that the hearts of the people of God would be encouraged being knit together in love. And that knit together is in the love of Christ and in the person of Christ. And it's as we love one another that we are truly living as the body of Christ. And we show each other and we show the world what Jesus looks like as we love one another. Jesus prays that in John 14. He prays that we would be in Him as He is in the Father. That He would be in us and we would be in Him. And then He sends His Spirit to be in us. And so as we live that out, we show what Jesus is like to one another as we love one another. In Colossians 1.27, so just a couple of verses back, Paul says, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you. The hope of glory. One of the commentators says, as the group interacted with each other in love, each and the whole would experience a deeper understanding of Christ. A knowledge of how God works uniquely in the lives of each one so that they saw the application of Christ's love in their lives. I hope and I pray that 
you see that. You can, as I even describe Jesus showing up amongst us as we love one another, I hope that stories are coming to your mind from this past week and the previous months of how these people that are here in this room have loved you and shown you the face of Christ. I hope that ignites within you a desire to go out of this place today and live in community in this Christmas season and, and in 2014 as it comes to show one another and to show the world who Jesus is by your love for one another. As you are filled with the spiritual capital that comes from knowing Him, as you're spirit with, filled with faith, as you're filled with the fruits of the Spirit of love and joy and peace and patience and gentleness and kindness and faithfulness and self-control that you can pour into the lives of others. You show G- who Jesus is. I love that truth, that the mysteries of God are revealed in Christ who is revealed in our love for one another. Have I repeated that enough times this morning? <laughs> To put it another way, or or to look at the kind of the other side of it, when we need spiritual capital, we can pour out what spiritual capital we have into others. We pour the, the virtue and the faith that God has given us into others, which is called making disciples. Christian growth is a group task. The individuals of the church needed and continue to need each other. I'm going to pray a prayer later from Ephesians 3. And in that, Paul says, and kind of makes this point clear by using another metaphor where he says we're being rooted and established in love. That's where our roots go. We dig our roots deep in love for one another and pouring out what God has given us to one another. These spiritual riches, one commentator says, are reserved for those who encourage each other. And have a strong commitment to the body of Christ. And as we've been talking about all these these five capitals, uh, these five different aspects of all the things that God has given us, I want to illustrate for you how they all work together. Just to pull it out of the clouds a little bit. So I'm going to draw on some intellectual capital or some words from a guy named Andrew Dowsett. Um, he, he's a blogger that was part of a church that uh, kind of pioneered in our modern time, it's not a new idea, uh, missional communities over in uh, England. He says this about himself on his blog. My name is Andrew Dowsett, and I am an ordained Anglican serving in the Church of England, Diocese of Durham. That's, a, that's quite a title, right? But uh, I know he has kids. He enjoys living life on mission. And he says, uh, well, I've kind of taken some of his thoughts and, and put it in my context. So as a family, my family is committed to growing the the spiritual capital of discipleship in the context of community. And so over the years, we've been drawn into relationship with other people who are committed to that same investment of spiritual capital into one another. This uh, network of relationships is actually what even brought us out here to San Diego a couple years ago and now has has resulted in two churches, Anchor Church and Kaleo Church, joining together to become the church that almost has a name, and uh, which we belong to. This is, in effect, but not, not exclusively, our spiritual extended family. You are. And in particular, within this growing family, for the past two plus years, we've gotten together 
multiple times week in and week out with a group of other families and individuals in San Diego and specifically in Claremont and then together with the whole group on Sundays. And these community gatherings and this larger church gathering are places where we meet with friends who share our same vision and values. And in the context of committed relationships, so contributing relational capital, we encourage and challenge one another. And our faith, or our spiritual capital, grows as a result. So you see how that works? As you pour out relational capital, which is time spent developing relationships, it opens the door to pour faith into one another so that your faith, your spiritual capital, can grow, which requires an investment of physical capital. So our community meets together in homes throughout the week. We meet here on Sunday mornings. And this requires getting the the seven people in my house and whoever else needs a ride into the car or cars. It requires using our cars. It requires using gas money. It requires uh, going out many school nights past our youngest kids' bedtimes. And coming home past, uh, past that time can be tiring. It costs us an investment of physical capital, which we have at our disposal. But we've decided that it's a priority to use the capital that way for the sake of God's kingdom. And so other things are less of a priority. Other hobbies, even football games on occasion, are less of a priority than investing our spiritual capital into others. If we, and if we're going to really engage in this community to allow God to speak into our lives through the other members of the group, uh, to listen to what God wants to speak into their lives through us, there's, we've got to make an investment of intellectual capital. So it's not enough just to gather together with good intentions, is it? We need to bring something or, or something needs to be brought which requires thoughtfulness and wisdom. We need to grow in our knowledge and our understanding of God's Word in order to bring it to bear to draw on capital reserves that we've built up through our study and devotion to God's Word. And so we can bring God's Word to bear on the situations we face. And Jesus said, the scribes of His kingdom draw out treasures old and new. What a beautiful image. So as we gather together, if we are scribes or teachers or people who care about His kingdom. As we gather together, we draw out treasures old and new. Things we're just learning and things that God has firmly planted in our hearts over the years. Things that others have written about for centuries and things that we've just saw for the first time as we studied Revelation or 1 Samuel this week. And so we get to do that with each other. Receiving a return on our investment as we pour in to you and you pour into us. And finally, it requires a financial investment. The combined cost of food and gas and coffee and gifts, because everyone keeps having babies, uh, for living in community with others means that it's not sometimes a cheap endeavor, right? It can be costly to live in community. If I didn't have any friends, I wouldn't have to buy any gifts. I'd be financially rich, relationally poor, which no one counts as truly rich. So we choose to prioritize it because the return we have seen over the years in relational and spiritual capital from investing our finances and our thoughts and our physical capital into into this community on mission 
gives us a return that is beyond compare. So the question is, if you want to see a return on the spiritual capital you invest for God's glory in San Diego, are you prepared to employ all the other forms of capital to see that happen? And as we do that, we will see the mysteries of God become knowable. As we take what He has given us and invest it for the sake of His kingdom, the mysteries of God become knowable. And our final point is that God became this simple man, born in a simpler way than any of us could have planned, so that His riches could become obtainable. It's not just about knowing who God is, but it's about seeing the treasure that God and His gifts are. And seeing that that He doesn't just show us who He is, but He offers to us His riches in Christ. Colossians 2, again, uh, Paul says that, that he wants these people to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. So he's saying it's, it's obtainable to reach these riches that are in Christ. They don't, we don't just see them for what they are, but they remain at a distance. But they are ours to have through faith, by grace. That's how He gives His riches, is by grace, which makes it truly a gift. In another one of Paul's letters, he says in Ephesians 2.8, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. There's nothing that's more obtainable than a gift, right? A gift that has been given is the most obtainable thing there is. You don't even have to pull the money out of your pocket. You simply receive a gift. And how do we receive it? Again, Ephesians 2.8 says it's by faith or through faith. It's obtainable. You may not be able to afford the gifts you want to give to others. I know Mike wants to give me a boat for Christmas, but I know he can't afford a boat. I'd love to give him a boat, but I cannot and will not afford a boat. But this gift, this priceless gift that is worth whatever gift you could possibly imagine multiplied a thousand and a million times, this priceless gift is offered to you at the cost of only faith. And even that faith is a gift from God. Again, Ephesians 2.8 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It's both the grace and the faith are not your own doing. It is the Holy Spirit igniting, regenerating your heart so that you can even believe. It's through that that you receive this grace that is Jesus. By faith... We also continue to experience Jesus as our treasure. He's not just the door in. He's the path that we walk in. That we are being saved from the power of sin in our lives daily. Is this faith. It's through faith we receive grace initially. And it's through faith we have received grace for each day. It's through faith that His mercies are new every morning. And this treasure that we obtain by grace through faith, this spiritual capital is beyond valuable. Its depths cannot be plumbed. Its heights cannot be measured. 
Jesus is the treasure that matters because the Father has put Him over all and through Him has made everything. And so to receive that treasure is beyond compare. Jesus is the treasure that gives us encouragement. How many of you find yourself needing encouragement during the holiday seasons? Jesus is the treasure that encourages because He has already been lifted up in glory. And He always lifts up everyone who puts their faith in Him. So you can be encouraged. Jesus is the treasure that will last. Jesus is the treasure that we can always draw from. The endless well that will never run dry. The water that brings life when life has run dry of treasure. And Jesus is the treasure even when we cannot see why He would possibly give any treasure to us. When we cannot see beyond the shame that our own failures have brought, He is still the treasure that we receive. I really got to experience that this week. and I was um, spending some time with, with Vince, one of the other pastors here. And... Uh, I was asking for it. I was asking literally and figuratively. I I needed the gospel. I was in desperate need to see beyond my own guilt and shame for my own failures to believe that God truly is, that Jesus truly is my treasure. And as events shared the gospel with me again, as He humbly shared with me the simple truths of, of Jesus being my righteousness, of Jesus being my treasure, of Jesus being my hope, I was reminded again, and he, he challenged me to go and spend time alone with Jesus, not just to hear it from someone else, but to hear directly from Jesus. And as I spent a couple hours alone with Jesus, even though I locked my keys in my car, my wife had to come let me in again, which was great. You know, I spent these couple hours alone being refreshed and recharged in Jesus. Get back to the car and see my keys sitting in the seat. It's like, thank you that you're gracious. That's, that's the reminder I needed. But, but during that time, Jesus never fails when we turn to Him to remind us through His Spirit of how gracious He is. He doesn't require anything of us. We come to Him and we say, my failures, my, the pile is too high. There's no way you can come to me. There's no way you can be near to me. And He says, I'm already right here. I've already paid the price. And yes, let's pick apart that pile and throw it away one piece at a time. And He says, as Matthew 11 paraphrases in the message, just listen to these words. This is Jesus, a paraphrase of Jesus' words. He says, are you tired? Worn out? Burned out on religion? Come to me. I want you to hear that, not just figuratively, but literally. To get away with Jesus sometimes. If you only come to one another to be filled with Christ, you're we are codependent fools. We need to get away with Him as well and be interdependent on Jesus. Be refreshed and recharged by getting away with Him. He says, come, with, come to me, get away with me, and you'll recover your life. 
I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Those are the treasures that were offered in Christ Jesus this Christmas, this day, every day. And so if you want to be rich, do you want to be rich in Christ? Even if you don't believe today, do you want those kinds of riches? The answer is to repent of our unbelief, to turn from worshiping, from looking for those riches elsewhere and believe that those riches are offered in Christ Jesus alone. Paul says, for I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea, for those at San Diego and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. If you want that full assurance, if you want to really know the mysteries of God, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, if you are a Christian here today and you want to be richer, repent and believe. If you are a non-Christian, if you have not placed your faith in Christ and you're here today, the same answer is for you. Repent and believe. Turn from trying to earn these riches or get these riches from some other way and believe that they're found in Christ Jesus alone. So surrender your life to Christ today again if you're a Christian and anew if you are not. The answer and the discipline is the same for all of us. The unforced rhythms of grace are given to us as we repent and believe, as we turn from broken wells to the spring of living water, who is Jesus. Just bow your heads as I pray. So that these words and this, the ministry and the pouring out of my heart for these people today will, will be fruitful, God. I have been, and I, I will continue to bow my knees before you, Father. From whom every father, from whom every family on heaven and earth is named. Sorry, I lost my place in my prayer. That according to the riches of your glory, Father, you will grant us, grant us all to be strengthened with power through your spirit in our inner being so that Christ will dwell in our hearts through faith and that we being rooted and grounded in love will have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that we will be filled with all the fullness of you, God. So to you who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, 
according to the power that you have already put at work within us. To you be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. So now we're going to take communion. If your faith is in Christ, I want to invite you to take communion. And You know, it's a solidly established fact that the early church didn't celebrate what we now call Christmas. The birthday of Jesus Christ. The custom at the time was to celebrate more the, the day of a person's death than it was to celebrate the day of their birth. But the early church adopted various festivals honoring certain martyrs on the days of which marked their deaths, as well as Easter. And Christmas itself originated somewhere around the 4th century in the Roman church, and it, it really spread rapidly throughout the church in the world, throughout Christendom. And surprisingly, one of the reasons for this rapid spread was the popularity of a heresy. Is, is what part of what spread Christianity. That heresy was called Arianism. See, this guy named Arius, the bishop who started all of this heresy, he claimed that Jesus wasn't truly divine in every sense. That Jesus wasn't fully God, but was a created being. He said he's the highest of all created beings, but nonetheless created. And the church needed a way to stress to the average Christian, a person who couldn't read, and they had to depend on priests for solid doctrine. They wanted a way to stress that Jesus was in fact God in the flesh. And so the celebration of his birth was kind of in fashion at that time, and the church promoted that as a way to instruct the faithful in the correct doctrine. And Arianism has an opposite. It's called Gnosticism. It starts with a G. Gnosticism. It's found in the New Testament church even as a heresy. It's Paul and John address this. And while Arianism says that Christ wasn't fully God, Gnosticism says that he wasn't fully man. That between these two heresies, though, we have the roots of most of the cults which have plagued Christianity from its beginnings. Either Gnostics and Gnosticism or Arianism. Many cults can't accept the fact that Jesus is both fully God and fully man, as the New Testament puts it. Son of God and Son of Man. But it is essential to our understanding of communion that we see him as both. Jesus Christ came to die to pay the sacrifice due for my sins and for your sins. And such a sacrifice had to be fully human in the flesh. For the sin came from us who are fully human and in the flesh. Such a sacrifice had to be divine or fully God because only God can meet the standard of complete righteousness. The complete righteous perfection that was demanded for such a sacrifice. It can be difficult to understand, I know. And there are mysteries. It's still, it's in Christ, but it's still a mystery of God. So maybe an example that might help illustrate this is if you're bankrupt, can I get an amen? If you're bankrupt, right? You have no money and lots of bills to pay. That's what bankrupt means, right? And you need some help. And your credit's so lousy that no one will loan you the money. But let's suppose, just suppose, you have a really rich uncle. I go, you go to him, and because he's a loving uncle, he gives you the money to pay all your debts. 
What a wonderful, beautiful... That, is it, is it, isn't it wonderful? And I want to bring you back. Jesus is even better than that story. Some of you are getting lost in that story and dreaming. But first, two things about that. He, he must be a rich uncle, just as Jesus must be God. He can't just be an uncle. A poor uncle, a bankrupt uncle like you won't do. His money also, though, has to be in dollars, the same dollars that you used to have. Because that's what you owe. And if he can't change it into dollars, then you're still broke. Hopefully that'll help you understand this a little bit. Jesus is like that. Because he's God, he's able to pay the debt. But because he is man, he uses the same currency that we do. So combined, fully God and fully man, he can pay our debt. And like my very mythical rich uncle, he loves me enough to pay my debt. Enough to die on the cross so that my debt might be paid. So I want to invite you to remember that and reflect on that as you share communion with your friends or your gospel community, your family, or your DNA group. Just go to these tables as the musicians play. Share with each other, remind one another this good news, and then come back together to sing a couple songs in closing. And if you come in here today and the Holy Spirit's been stirring in your heart a new faith to put your trust in Jesus for the first time, to tap into the the riches that are offered to you in Christ, I invite you to, to go to the table with maybe who you came with or find a group that's around and tell them, I believe today for the first time. I want to be a part of this family of faith. And they'll lead you to put your faith in Christ. So go ahead and do that in your own timing as we hear the music and as we sing. Go to the tables and take communion.